This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. This week on Meet and 3, we bring you stories about the coldest, darkest season. We start in a California vineyard. It's cold, but it's wet, and things are still alive. There's a lot of life in this soil. We explore two frontiers of cocktail culture, luxury ice and the rise of non-alcoholic drinks. The rocks traditionally becomes 25% of your drink's volume, and as such, it imparts smells and tastes. And we investigate the risks facing New York City delivery workers during the harsh winter. In the wintertime, after two hours of biking, it's quite easy, actually, for the bikes to sing upside down or slips or slide. Tune in to this week's episode of Meat and 3, that's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E, for some food for thought to sustain you through the dead of winter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Good evening and welcome to Fun Man About it. it on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. My name is Chris Kuzmi. And we're your co-hosts through this weekly journey of all things fermented. Archived uh, anywhere you can find great <laughs> great podcasts, especially right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Um, we are here at the brewery at William Patterson. I mean, not William Patterson. Jesus Christ. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about like old friends and neighbors, and I went to William Patterson. I had all my William Patterson friends over, and we played uh, at, at uh, here at the brewery fifth hammer brewing company last week and it was a really great amazing musical wednesday we play every wednesday beers for ears um but we're here at the brewery with our really good friends from hand in norway uh and uh we're doing a collaboration today and are excited to host you for the show yeah uh we are horrible at pronouncing names and it took me a long time to practice that one my name is stefan i'm sales manager of honbrugeria uh, my name is uh, Ragnar, or Ragnar. Uh, I'm, I deal with sours and a little bit of everything. Uh. We're delighted to have you here, Stefan. We, we met a few months back. I've uh, been a fan of all the beers that you guys have for, for a long time. You guys are imported by Shelton Brothers here in the United States. Um, and they've done a really great job putting your, putting your stuff out in front of us since we've long heard of you before making your acquaintance. And uh, I'm excited that today is working out. How long have you been in town? What brings you to town? And then let's get deep and go go way back on the history of Hanbridge again. Yeah. Uh, the reason why we're here is, you know, we were at, um, the last time I was here was because of Shelton Fest in Denver. And I met you guys uh, after Fest. Our good friend uh, Miguel the Beer Trekker introduced me to some breweries. I, he, well, he thought that I should uh, know, like you guys, Transmitter... Uh, the fine folks at KCBC, uh, uh, the guys from Grimm, and uh, yeah. So real quick, you know, we immediately got along because we have kind of a similar path. Like we both started as musicians and now find ourselves in this beer world, which is also kind of why I started on this thing. How long have you been playing drums? Oh, it must be. Uh, well, if I say how long I've been playing drums, I have to say how old I've gotten. Uh, I think like I really started playing drums when I was six. But that was like just a snare. So I've been actually been playing drums for more, more than thirty years. Mm-hmm. So yeah, wow. <laughs> Do you think that your love for drums is kind of one of the 
pathways that got you to love beer in a, in a particular way? Yeah, absolutely, man. It's all, it's all about subculture. It's all, all about loving um, not the frame of the picture, but little details. Mm-hmm. It's uh, that extra quality of life. Uh, what made like Edward Monk's pictures so great? What made what made uh, writing of Ibsen so so great? You can't really quantify that, but it, it was something different. It was something new, and I think with craft beer, it's the same. It's like it's a subcultural subcultural thing. It's it's an urge, a want for something more, like like the beat generation in literature, like discovering new things. Uh, for me, like it, it was uh, with music, it was jazz and hip hop, and I was really excited the last time to come to New York because I grew up like listening to uh, Jens Schofield, uh, Desky Martin Wood, and to me, uh, jazz and beer sort of represents, or it feels to me at least, uh, like it catches the pulse of the city in a very nice way. Um, yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the beginnings of Hanford yet. Or how you guys got into beer and fermentation. I can start. It was actually uh, like an accident. I was uh, actually doing like work training, like a trainee um, for three months. And then I was hired. Uh, and then um, I worked in warehouse. And then uh, I started brewing right away, straight onto sours. Uh, at home, of course, and then I was uh, after a few years, I was given the responsibility for the barrel aging program. So it's, uh, that's how that happened. You, Stefan uh, has another story. Ragnar makes that sounding really easy, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a great puzzle, really. Um, I sort of, to me, it was happenstance, and you know, being being the sort of personality I have. Um, uh, Hund was my first, you know, that that was the first brewery I really fell in love with back in like 2007. That's when I first had a beer called Bavarian Weizen, which was their take on a Hefeweizen. And to me, like, that just opened so many doors flavor-wise. Um, so I really, really came obsessed uh, after that brewing. Uh, I did a lot of tastings with both uh, beer and uh, single malt scotch. And uh, back in 2012, I think it was 2014 maybe, uh, I was up at a place called CFL, which is uh, my local uh, brewery. And I was talking to their CEO and uh, like, I can't find hand beers in my town anymore. What, like, what's going on? And uh, they said, "Oh, we, we we don't know. You should call call them and ask." Ha 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 ha. So I did, and I, <laughs> I you know I talked to uh, to their sales manager at the time, and I said, "Like, dude, where's my beer? Like, I, I can't find your stuff." Well, if you don't think we're doing a good job, you should do some. You should do something about it. So I did. And, yeah. And then he started, 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 started selling beer for us on part time, and then yeah, like and after a while we were hired full time, and then yeah, and then I became sales manager last year. Was it year before? Like I don't remember. Things are popping so fast. Yeah, sure. Yeah. How big? How many people work with Hungry? We're twelve people. Yeah, I think we're twelve. 12 yeah. So it's still not that of a large operation at all. No, no, no. We have a we have a really uh, automated. Systems. We only need two brewers, basically. Right. Right. And you guys, you, Ragnar, you were telling me you 
brew generally between two and three times a week. Yeah, season? I think that's a, that's a, that's a norm. That's a norm now, right now. They're the, like actually, as we are speaking now, they are in a very hectic stage because we are moving the brewery. So they are, they have to brew a lot and bottle a lot, right? And can and can of course can and cake. Sure. So um, I think they're quite hectic right now, uh, but we're here, so drinking beer and talking to the. Microphone, so it's gonna be more relaxing for us. <laughs> uh, but usually, you are in charge of three fooders and uh, about a hundred barrels. That, that no, more than a hundred barrels, but it, it's uh, as far as the wood program. Yeah, no, we have sours and we have uh, clean beers on wood, so we, okay. do, we do both. So it depends on we face things, uh, face with barrels in and out. Uh, what we have in like we should have like a, a few hundred barrels in like almost like sours ready for blending but we also have uh, the next year's christmas like spiced beers like mary um, does deals with we have already brewed that for next christmas they are like aging now to mellow out for uh, for next uh, for, for before bottling so the total volume changed all the time so i don't don't remember actually like 150 small wow. barrels or something like that why are you moving again? This is, so you, you're moving breweries, but this is the fourth time you're moving, right? Yeah. yeah. But uh, now we know our stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, well um, they're uh, they're making a new hospital at uh, where our brewery is right now. Okay. So now beer is good for your health too, but yes. I, I I guess a hospital would work. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes. laughs> it might be yeah. even better for you. Yeah. Health. <laughs> <laughs> Arguable, arguable. So, for people that aren't familiar with your brewery, talk about some of the nor- like some of the beers that you guys make, brew, and the sours and the clear beers. You know, in you know, in the U.S., we're mostly known for our stouts and sours, and our farmhouse beers. Our signature thing has like been to make uh, a old grain sour, and it's like really uh, tart, like more punchy than like the Rodenbach. Uh, we also feel like for our farmhouse beers, we like to have just a dash of smoke, smoke malt to sort of... Uh, when Hans started out in 2005 with uh, Egel, Alna, Jens and Luna, those guys before home, uh, home brewers, like most of us, like start out like... And uh, they brewed on a 200 liter kettle first, I think it was. Uh, but things quickly just uh, escalated for them but they wanted to uh, Nugnaver was the only uh, other brewery at the time and they were like specialized specializing in uh, IPAs and so the guys at Han they wanted to do more rustic beers for my part more interesting beers maybe Um, uh, so that's what we're known for in the US at least Uh, we have been working with Shelton since 2007, I think. Seven, yeah. yeah. Now, how widely distributed are you guys in, in the U.S.? It's, I think it's 48 states, right? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. So and then, what do you um, what do you have in Norway that you don't send over? Oh, he makes so much IPAs. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Uh, hops don't travel well. So, mm-hmm. uh, we have a Citro Pale Ale called Homelessus, which is uh, yeah, 4.5. We have this thing in Norway where, where uh, anything that's stronger than 4.7 has to be sold by the wine monopoly. So uh, a lot of our volumes is like session ales, session right. beers. 
Makes sense. Yeah, I think it's about 70% or something like that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Our session. Yeah. Our, our like yeah. 70% yeah. of what you make. Yeah. So if they're not sold in the wine monopoly, where are they sold in Norway? Um, I'm always interested about, you know, in other beer, like, yeah, beer there's legislation. Like, uh, there's like three big chain, chains in, uh, in Norway, like uh, buyers groups, and uh, we sell to those three. And then that goes to grocery stores or yeah. Yeah. supermarket Super distribution. Okay. So we just got a deal for, uh, we have a new um, session Citra Mosaic uh, IPA. And of course, that's, that's a dime a dozen here, right? So, um, in Norway, we'll sell that to maybe 400 stores. Wow. 400 stores. Yeah, and I'll we'll just keep... Rolling. And those are cans? All cans? Those are cans, yeah. Cans, cool. Uh, it's 440 mil, mil cans. So I don't know how to translate to ounces. Is that 12 or 14 or something like that? Yeah. Okay, yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Uh, you spoke earlier, like, if we have 40 brewers brewing in New York City. And if we were to do that, if we were to compare it per capita to Norway, we would have to have like, like 350 breweries. Like 300, 350 yeah. breweries. Yeah. 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 So how many, I mean, what is the scene like there for, for, for people or what is the, what is the beer culture, uh, what is it meant in Norway and how has it changed over the last? You know, there's a, there's a, I think it's a very vibrant scene right now. There's a, there's a new upcoming uh, bunch of breweries some of my favorites are Aquatid. They do all raw ale beers. Um, Meaning no ale? No, 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 ah. no boil, yeah. Uh, and they have their own mix uh, of uh, Kweik that they use. Uh, we have Voss Brewery. Up Meaning they're mixing yeast? Kweik. Yeah, Kweik yeah. 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 is Norwegian farmhouse yeah. yeast. So. Viking yeast from Norway. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Voss, yeah. Um, uh, Ego down from Fredrikstad is pretty good. They do some uh, Quake stuff as well. Uh, Quake IPAs. Um, they're they're one of the most uh, sort of progressive breweries, like up to, up to date. And of course, there's us and Larvik breweries like Gin Agi. Uh, of course, Larvik is the biggest one. Well, since we're talking about beer culture, what's the beer culture like as far as the cons- as far as like consumers go, or like the bar culture? So you guys are also selling your beer to bars as well. Yeah, Do our bars. You know, how are they different than the bars that you visit here or that we're familiar with? It's quite similar, actually. Well, the bars like they have the, the bars look quite uh, it's in the cities, of course. Mm-hmm. It's different from countryside to city, and right. the, but, but like the New England ish uh, style, we see that everywhere. Um, it's quite similar to the bars here in New York City, uh, with what what you can buy, what the, what's, what's what's trending, what what you can move. I, I think the yeah, and um, for the beer scene in Norway, the biggest problem for bars is that they're overtaxed. Okay. A lot of beer, in, mm. well, beer in general in Norway is severely overtaxed. We have and, the uh, highest in the world tax on alcohol. Ooh. Yes. So wow. in that end, is that passed on to the consumer? So is beer oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. quite expensive? Oh, yeah. Okay. But it uh, also means that we have, have to tell us, uh, sell a shit ton of beer to make money. Right. So volume is... Volume is king. Yeah. With that, we're going to take a really quick break. Thanks for listening. For men My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's. 
a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Welcome back to Ferment About It on Heritage Radio Network.org. Uh, we're here at the back of Fifth Hammer Brewing Company. We are actually in the middle of brewing a collaboration, and by that I mean Brett's doing a lot of work over there, <laughs> Brett Taylor, and while we popped out to have an interview uh, with our friends from Han Brewing. Thank um, you, Brett. Thanks, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> we are brewing a Norwegian farmhouse ale because Andrea is in Norway. Uh, they're on, about to go to their fourth iteration or their fourth location um, and uh, brewed a lot of really awesome beers. And this beer that we're making today is using a Quebec yeast. Can you guys explain what one of, what that is? Quebec is basically it's old farmhouse yeast passed down from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. So for us, like uh, Quebec is the western part of Norway's way of saying yeast, right? Okay. It's like the old way of saying it. Right? For a lot of people, it's like when people are talk, talking about quake, it's like, oh, yeah, talking about yeast. No, we're talking about quake. Yeah, you're talking about yeast. Like. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's um, and super it? strong Viking yeast and, like, it can ferment at uh, any level, really. Uh, okay, um, we... We have to talk about Celsius because when we talk about Fahrenheit, we just get yeah, 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 totally, yep. So, uh, like, like the Voss strain, uh, it can ferment at thirty-five Celsius. Yeah. Uh, it's like ninety-five degrees. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, 1995 degrees. Yeah. Same with the Hornendal. And so, the three most common that we see, or at least we purchased ours, we, it was not handed down for, to us from Norwegian farmers. Uh, it is banked at Omega Yeast, and they have three versions. They have Hothead, Voss, and and Hornendal. Uh, we've used Hornendal in a couple of things. Uh, we used all three, split one batch down to, to taste the difference and chose Hornendal. This is our first d- using the Voss strain. But I say all this to say that I guess I want to know what yeast or what they means within it or what the underlying kind of thing, why this is different yeast. I mean, it is, it, it is a substrate of of Saccharomyces cerevisiae, but yet there's still other strains that still fall into... Yeah, and, uh, and I think a lot of what makes Quake interesting, uh, except for like being this Viking yeast that can uh, take a punch, is uh, a, a lot of those uh, original strains uh, that hasn't been clean, cleaned out to the like, uh, by like totally isolated. Yeah, they have a lot of uh, funky bacteria, mm-hmm. which make them uh, like you know you. When you clean clean down your strains like that, they are going to change a little bit. Maybe yeah. be a little bit more mellow, not have as much crazy flavor. But uh, as a workhorse, I don't think any strain is as good as quake. We find it interesting because, it, as, as American brewers, it has not been that popular or hasn't been shouted out. But it's not like this is a new strain. Well, it's new in the U.S. Like we've only had access to it commercially. Yeah, for, it was the last, like, commercially available. Yeah, right? and that's just happened in, like last three years. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I guess we wonder why, because it's such a great workout for us, and what that's we've seen uh, the turnover beers faster. And generally, I'm saying this, you know, we 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 know this, but I want to say it for. For our, for our audience, generally a, a yeast strain that ferments too fast. Or if you ferment too fast, you can have a bunch of off flavors that you don't want. However, this the Yeast Vic does not do that. It ferments fast, 
and clean. Yeah, and also like so they, they get more care if you actually use not enough yeast, like you under pitch, and you ferment at like a traditionally too high temperature, you get more of the like this citrusy uh, uh, flavors out of it. Like uh, so, it's it's a hard worker. Yes, it will make beer in two days, but of course you have to clean up all the sulfuric substances and, sure. and things like that. So it's you can brew on Monday and be finished bottle condition on Friday, but you should probably Ooh. do it, make um, yeah, do it 10 days extra. Yeah, yeah that's right. fresh beer. That's yeah. fresh beer, yeah. yeah. But it, like any like any strain, it wants for conditioning time to kind of do its own cleanup of, yeah. of all the other flavors. Yeah, we use a month on our, our uh, uh, trade beers. You, a month? Yeah. month turnaround for the connection. Yeah. So that's three days of fermentation and the uh, rest is cleanup. So, okay, yeah. yeah. When, and so, flocculation. And flocculation. So when do you crash it after initial fermentation? So remember that? No. I, I think they just let it until it's uh, until it's flocculated uh, like sufficiently. Right. Maybe pull it down a little bit and then it flocculates a bit more and then crash it after it's okay. uh, yeast settled out uh, sufficiently. Yeah, I gotta say that's one of the biggest takeaways that we saw when we did the experiment between the Hothead, the Boss, and the Hornadol is they all flocked without having to crash it at all. We kept it at ambient temperature and, and it created its own yeast cake. I, got, I was impressed by that. It didn't stay in suspension like a lot of other saison yeasts mm. would unless you crash it. So, I thought that was it. In your, in your souring program and your aging program, uh, you said you generally do primary in in the stainless and then go to... Oh, no, we always do primary in stainless because we have a separate building for the delected... Uh, well, you have to separate the sours. Like, you know, what is sour beer? Uh, for me, it's a mixed fermentation uh, in the vessel. And we don't do that. We only do primary in, in the clean brewery. We only do one strain, a normal yeast strain, and then we take it out to the next building and then we add... Uh, Brett and bacteria. Um, sometimes we put it on steel. Sometimes, but mostly, most of the time we put it on barrels, and we use either folders or wine barrels. Uh, sometimes we use uh, aquavit barrels, but mostly folders or wine. We really like to let the barrel speak, so yeah, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> so when we brew it, we don't really know uh, what beer we will use it for. We have like this. Uh, we have this brown, uh, brown, red Flemish um, base. Uh, we put on both wine and fooder, and they will, of course, they will taste differently. And then we can taste, take out the, the volumes we want. Uh, maybe we mix with some fruit or not, or maybe we mix with, mix with uh, like a blonde uh, sour, uh, and then we get our different products. So, cool. We have sort of gotten to the point now of where we have so many barrels that we can blend what we want. And that's where we. That's really the way we're going now. Uh, we also want to get a, a movable cool ship that we can take out to local farms and uh, you know get uh, let it just sit with a uh, uh, apple tree for a for a for a day and go back and use that with our house culture and yeah. How do you guys How do you guys evaluate your barrels as far as like when you're sitting down and thinking about blending? Uh, first we smell, then we taste, mm -hmm. and then we think like, okay, this barrel is very good, but it's too sour. So then we then we maybe okay, but some of the other ones are quite mild, but uh, uh, but good, but a bit too boring. So then we have like something interesting. We mix with something uh, good but boring, and then like that's, that's 
Uh, doesn't have to be different beers, it's just like different barrels, uh, but that's the uh, assessment you make. Um, okay, some acetic acid may be good in a Flemish red, but not too much, so that's why you can, you can blend your way from, away from good, uh, like something like that, but uh, like true beer faults, like if it smells like burnt rubber or, uh, or like, yeah, Band-Aid, you just have to dump it. Yeah. So how common it? You mentioned a brewery that does raw. How common is raw ale just, in Norway? It's not very. Common. It's not, but it used to be more common. Did it used to? Yeah, is that, it used to be just a way of brewing. Right. So uh, back back in the days of your as old historians say. <laughs> and I haven't done much of it, but I guess the people I do know that do try it. It's not necessarily not pasteurizing. It's like you know, just not boiling, boiling, right? So we're still yeah. coming up to 180 and pasteurizing is sure the word. 180. I have a, I have a Celsius map for you. There, yeah, no, confused faces here going on. <laughs> yeah, that's probably fine. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever pasteurization yeah. temperature yeah. is in Celsius. <clears throat> yes, and they'll hold it there, and then they'll just not get it to boil, and then they'll knock out, and then and yeah, so at least um, inoculating with control. And uh, the no-boil uh, no gives you a really nice mouthfeel. Yeah. yeah, because you have the, like, the proteins and things like that, that it doesn't settle out, they, they, stay, yeah, they stay in the beer. So you, you get lucky, especially for the sours, you get a good body on a, a uh, relatively low ABV beer. Yeah. So and you'll think, like maintain the body even though, even though you know, some of the wild bacteria and yeast will be eating, you know, eating more of the sugar. Yeah, they, will, they will eat proteins as well. Right. Uh, but but uh, proteins and glycerol and things like that, it will give, it's like, it's like a poor mash. If you yeah. It's not done properly, but you get, if you do like a wild culture, you will get uh, more body. Yep. So, cool. And I've seen uh, a few breweries done, uh, done no boil for uh, sort of New England. Mm -hmm. IPAs. Yeah. It's absolutely something that I'm looking for us to do at some point. Uh, no boil sour IPA. Mm -hmm. Maybe yeah. with an American brewery like in Norway. Yeah, let's bring an American brewery to Norway to try doing that sometime. That'd be fun. Maybe someone from Long <laughs> Island City. Who <laughs> <laughs> likes to play play with hammers. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that that place you're talking about, that was an actual city for a mere 27 years before it became a part of uh, New, New York City. From 1870 to 1897, that place was a city of its own. Now it's just a neighborhood. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I keep having to defend that to people because they're like, "Oh, you're from Long Island City? It's a city?" I was like, "No, it's not a city, and it's not Long Island either." I'm very confusing. <laughs> this is I'm starting to learn a little more. Um, so, speaking of that, uh, speaking of Norway, um, you guys hold a festival, and uh, we're honored to be invited to, to come out. Tell us a little about the festival and uh, who shows up for it, and what kind of things it's done for the Yeah, this year Hanfest uh, has been my baby. Anyway, um, I was really looking at. Uh, I was really looking at that there's so many beer fests going on now and how do you and how do you set that fest apart from all of the other ones like apart from being where you are so I've, I've said this year that we're only doing breweries that uh, that do a little bit of uh, like local ingredients and some mixed fermentation uh, that's that's one of the things because I I do think think that just having that as a uh, as a choice it le it leaves you to having 
great breweries because you'll get breweries that are adventurous, that like to experiment, but also know their game. Because you know when when you do get into like mixed uh, fermentation and all that jazz, uh, that's where the fun really begins. You play around with the fermentation. So uh, we have you guys, Grim and Finback from. Uh, Feinstein of New York or New York City uh, uh, Santa uh, uh, Adarius uh, Horace H. Ailes uh, oh my god I'm getting old and senile uh, Cascade is yeah. coming uh, there's someone else from Black Project are oh, coming oh, cool. it's a pretty good crowd just from the US and from uh, from Sweden, we have our friends from uh, Brekkeria, which are probably one of uh, our favorite breweries. They do all mixed fermentation. Uh, and I think I have yet to have a disappointing beer from those guys. Yeah, we did a collab a couple of years ago, and I think they've been bottling that, or hopefully hopefully they've been bottling that when we're, when we're traveling here. I really hope they haven't, because I haven't made a label yet. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, and Popples from Sweden. Uh, Popples, they don't do uh, mixed fermentation yet, I think, but they do uh, all um, uh, organic malts and that things that survive. We're excited to bring the collab that we're making today to it. So some of it will, will stay relatively clean and serve in our tap room, but some of it will let the beer tell us what we're going to change about it. Like we're going to send some into some barrels, probably do it with some fruit, maybe tart cherries, kind of where I'm thinking. And bugs or no bugs is the question when we get there. Mm. Um, and then some of it Mary's going to throw into the fun tank, and we'll save some for bringing it to the that. Speaking of that, I'm going to talk to you really quick about knocking out. <laughs> So let's talk. So I let's talk about like your neighboring countries, right? So you're inviting some breweries from Sweden. Um, how much beer do you guys get from you know the rest of Scandinavia versus the rest of the world? Oh, we get so much beer from Sweden, and that's down to our politicians not doing their job. Um, the taxes are so much lower in Sweden, and they have been, and they have been getting lower. And uh, what we're seeing, like uh, uh, exports from Sweden, have never been higher. Uh, and for the first time in many, many years, craft beer has stopped growing in Norway. And, it, and that is really down to our politicians right. not paying attention. Um, yeah. There's a, we're very unfortunate that, that we have a very small religious party in, in Norway that uh, um, they're vastly overrepresented. Uh, by how many people voted for them because they they have just enough seats in the house that they give the current government uh, the majority so that really makes them uh, and they are teetotalers or I guess pretty much so uh, they're not pro drinking no they're not very uh, we're not getting as much from Denmark, uh, even though the brewing, brewing scene there is pretty good as well. But, but for what it's worth, like, the Swedish brewing scene has been amazing in the last few years. So, that, so that's also a part of it. Yeah. It's about the neighboring country. <clears throat> oh, yeah. 
Yeah, the low ABV thing is. It, do you think that's ever going to change? Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, it 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 will change at some point. Uh, when it's real, really up to uh, the majority, I think. Uh, for me, it's right now. It's fine. It's not the biggest concern we have in Norway. Uh, but I would love to be able to sell our beers directly from the brewery to people uh, and uh, ciders. So have like a taste because nobody has a t- no brewery has a tasting room there now. Well, right? they have a tasting room that's maybe open uh, once a month. Okay. Uh, but also be able to sell canned beers to the consumers directly. That is something I really want to do. Yeah. Uh, just. Then we'll at least keep some more money ourselves. Yeah. Uh, and with the the way trends are and making the cost of making a good beer you know, higher and higher because we're just dosing things at higher rates, uh, that direct to con- consumer sale is, is a lot of the lifeblood for a lot of American breweries. Yeah. You know, being yeah. able to sell directly and have those higher margins to, to keep making those higher or more expensive beers. Yeah. Yes, you know, with the hazy New England uh, IPAs and castful hops, like it's it's not very s- sustainable if you base yourself on selling those type of beers through a third party and then to another party again. Yeah, actually, worst issue is the mostly the distribution time because uh, we want to sell it fresh. Yeah, right? but um, for the, like the distribution chains, they don't allow like unless they don't will not buy it unless there's like six months best sell by date or something like that, and that's basically when you should have drinking everything. Right. Oh. Hmm. That's just how the system is right now. I'm trying to work around it. Uh, it's it's always the first batch that is a problem with uh, wine monopoly, and uh, you know they've taken a lot of good strides to being better for beer. Now they mostly sell wine spirits, but beer is increasing, and they they have gotten a lot more cool storage. They're trying to work faster, so we should. We should definitely give the people at one level props for really trying to work it out. But it's but, but yeah, it's always the first batch that's the problem because you got to register a beer in. If I want to sell a beer in in uh, May, I have to register it a beer in January. Oh yes. And I got to have it ready around March, so it will be available for the shops in April. And by then, berries, it, it's a hazy New England style beer, it's dead, right? So, uh, but for the second batch, it's fine because it's in the system. So, the minute we have a fresh new batch beer, it's just a sentence. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, that first batch, that's the. It's an interesting plan. Yeah. yeah. But well, we don't want to make you late for an airplane back to Norway. How long is this flight you guys got? Seven, seven hours? Yeah, for me, for you, it's longer. You have to. Yeah, I have to wait a <laughs> 
and I will probably not drinking any beer while I wait. So. <laughs> had enough. Last, last <laughs> well, yeah, you put to how many? You did a couple different collabs all year. You did Finn Back and Grim, and, and those might make it out to the to the festival as well, right? Yeah, I hope so. And cool. we also did one with the Norway Brewing Company up in Maine. Cool. Uh, Charles Magnamelli, who used to work at Lavik in Norway, but he grew up. He grew up in Tromsø, so he speaks Norwegian, which I didn't know. So when he like started talking to me, and, you know, <laughs> it's my local language. I was like, something funny about his English, but I can't quite what it is. So we made a we made a two way co- collab because uh, we we really liked two ways, not just one. Yeah, understood. Uh, We're coming in May. Yeah. yeah. So we so we made a quake saison there as well with, with his house culture and mix, which we're and and since he's from Norway, we'll call it dad jokes from Norway. <laughs> <laughs> because here we were they were having yeah. telling some bad jokes when we were harvesting yeast. <laughs> dad jokes are the funniest. I agree. Like yep. dad, I'm thirsty. Hi, thirsty. I'm dad. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> We had a dad joke off here recently. It was quite fun. The time people came in. Strong, strong on the dad jokes. Sure. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for sitting down with us and for collaborating with us. Thank you for having we us. We look uh, you, forward to tasting this and playing with it. Thanks and for doing it, Brett. And we're super excited about coming to visit you guys in Norway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Really, really excited. Excited. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. We'll do a follow up too. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. For men about it. For men about it. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.